My name is Jeremy Collins. I'm a pastor who has honest conversations with other pastors to take a deeper look at matters of worship and faith, all while exploring who God is and how he works in our lives. Make sure you stick around to the end where we're going to answer your questions. This is Pastor Talk Radio. Welcome today. So when you think of the word evangelism, what is the first thing that you usually think about? For I think a lot of Christians, the word evangelism is like a little bit of a dirty word, a word that we don't like to hear because it usually means we have to do something we're uncomfortable with. And more often than not, most folks actually are fine with letting evangelists do evangelism or let the pastors do evangelism. Or even worse, what I've seen is more often than not, the come and see model of church, this idea that if we build it, they will come idea of church has pushed evangelism for most folks onto the back burners. Yet when we read the book of Acts, when we open the pages of scripture, we see the very opposite. So how can we do evangelism today? And that's the conversation we're going to be having with my friend, Sean Brubaker, who's a pastor at Calvin Presbyterian Church in Elwood City, PA. Welcome, Sean. Glad to have you here. Glad to be here. Yeah, tell tell people a little bit about you, about your church, about how you ended up in ministry. I love hearing a little bit about all of those things as we we begin our podcast today. Yeah, I'll try to keep that to the sixty minute or less version. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, man, this is so relevant actually to the to the question of evangelism. Though um, my call to ministry, I was like sort of your typical like high school retreat. For uh, for the youth group, I didn't want to be there at all. I had like had some other plans that fell through, and so I ended up going to this retreat that I didn't want to be a part of. And uh, the the speaker gave this sort of stereotypical invitation of like, you know, who's going to be the next generation of missionaries and pastors and stuff. And uh, I responded to that. I, I should say I was I felt like drug, like out of my <laughs> seat, um, by the Holy Spirit and. I understood myself at that point to be committing myself to a vocation as a missionary. Mm. And at the time, all I knew of a missionary was like, okay, I'm going to go live in the jungle somewhere and translate the Bible and, you know, plant a church over the course of the next 35 years. Um, so I was already enrolled at, a, at IUP to be a music teacher. I came home and uh, my youth pastor suggested that maybe I like slow all this down. <laughs> uh and uh, so a week later, I just like unloaded on my parents. I was like, by the way, I'm not going to be a music teacher anymore. I'm going to be a missionary and I'm not going to go to college. And they thought I was having like some sort of crises. <laughs> um, so they talked me into going to Geneva College where I could, uh, it was the only school still accepting in the state of Pennsylvania that had a missions oh, wow. program. Oh, wow. And I could go to a school that also offered a music degree because they were all banking on me changing my mind. <laughs> uh, and so... Four years later, or three and a half years later, I uh, had a degree in cross-cultural Christian ministries and mm. in music, <laughs> uh, and started into youth ministry to pay off all my debt because you couldn't go into the mission field uh, with with your undergraduate debt at the time. So, uh, in the midst of the the, the long story, there is uh, I discovered um, God kind of redefining that call. Uh, still, de- still the heart of a missionary call, but seeing that. Aside from true frontier mission, which still exists, but in a pretty narrow field, there, there's mm. still some places where you still need those people to go in and translate the Bible and, and you know, 
raise up a people group. But for the most part, aside from that, uh, the mission field is here. <laughs> this is where the world's sending their missionaries now. Um, and man, uh, I could share a lot, but, but God made it really clear, um, sort of, sort of like the, the, the call there for, um, the prophet in the old Testament of, uh, I'm not sending you to a foreign and strange people of a foreign tongue, but to your own people <laughs> and mm. they're stubborn in heart, you know, <laughs> um, mm. that more or less became my call and how I ended up at Calvin and, um, Man, I was I was still in seminary when I started there. I was still at Pittsburgh, student pastor, and so obviously uh, a lot of growing to do and figuring out. Like, sure, be that missionary pastor uh, trying to raise a church of missionaries. Um, still figuring that out. But um, now, how long have you been at Calvin? Then it's been what ten? Ten years now. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And and for for you all that that don't know, Sean and I first got connected when he was in youth ministry, uh, not too far away from where my church is, and we found out we were both going to seminary together. And he would literally have to drive by my church on the way down to seminary. So we we actually rode into seminary. We were carpool buddies on the way to seminary, and then yeah. I abandoned you because I got married and moved down onto campus. And yeah, what were you thinking? You know, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, sorry. So that that's really interesting that you share that perspective. And I know in the missionary stuff, I I hadn't remembered the the story of the of your origin story before in youth ministry. But when you're th- when we're thinking about evangelism, and I'm going to say this kind of harshly, but why should we care what you have to say about evangelism, Sean? What have you have you do you why? Are there, is there any expertise that you have? What is your background in thinking about yeah. evangelism? Well, some are pointing recently to, uh, I just finished a doctor of ministry with uh, my final project and, and thesis being related to evangelism, particularly in the context of or through a, uh, a congregation. So mm. not you'll find a lot of evangelism literature that's out there kind of like for the individual, sure. or for the evangelist. Um, but there's not a lot dealing with how to do this in the context of a, of a local congregation. But, uh, yeah, how it relates to the, the story, though, of what I just shared, um, reflecting back, so I knew I wanted to do missionary. That was like the heart of my call. I yeah. was at um, Pittsburgh Seminary, went to Geneva College, uh, was in a church. Through that whole process, no one ever challenged me in the area of evangelism, right? Like I, I did an evangelism class at Pittsburgh that um, there was like one moment in there where we were asked to try to share over the course of, of the semester with one person. Uh, I remember that. Yeah. And uh, so that was like as close as it got. Um, and that was an elective, you know. <laughs> uh, so through all of that, there was no like real, this was not a part of discipleship anywhere. This was not an expectation mm. of a person on staff at a church. Um so looking back, it just baffles me that this is the number one thing we're supposed to do. And here I was like pursuing a call to do that. And nowhere did I really learn how to do that or that I even should. It was sort of left up to me to figure that out. Um, yeah, yeah. That was your experience or not. But Well, yeah, I think it's really interesting because I think most oftentimes people will adopt the mode of evangelism in the context they walk into. 
And I, I don't think a lot, you're right, in seminary, there wasn't a lot of thought given to the mode and the way of equipping people to be ministers of the gospel. And I, I say that in that way, because I think that's a, a better, not a better, but, but a way to help people wrap their mind around, like it's, it's your role to help people see the gospel. Maybe you don't like the word evangelism because it connotes a thing like the thumbnail showed a guy standing on the street corner, like yelling at people or, or telling people to be born again. I mean, that is a form of street evangelism, but by no means is that the encompassing, even what looked like the, the first century church. So yes, I agree. I was not challenged very much in that. Youth ministry has probably been the thing that has pushed me the most in that because we're constantly on the front lines of, of you never know who you're talking to and, and in general, but you never know what student you're talking to, where they are with Christ, even if they've been in church or wherever it is. So the evangelistic need and the statistics bearing out saying that most people make a decision for Christ before the age of 17, I think it's 80% or, or something like that. So the mission field is in youth ministry too, but it's also everywhere. And you're right, we weren't pushed at all. So how have you come to find, what was your, your, your main thesis was brilliant to the congregation. What were some of the things that you found in your journey of trying to figure out, hey, it's not just about telling people to go be a, a personal evangelist to go share the gospel, but as a congregation, how do we do this? Yeah, uh, there's a lot of layers to that. Um, I'm sure there are. Tell me, tell me when I need to fast forward. <laughs> um, no, no, this is this, I. So I don't. We don't need to fast forward because I think okay. that this conversation and and for the tease. Here's the tease that I'll give everyone listening. I believe that our worship will determine our evangelism. So we're gonna get to that. But I wanted to start with evangelism and this understanding and and how the whole church is brought into this because again, you're right. I think most books are about personal discipleship or personal evangelism, or here's a tool. I mean, our, our Presbyterian denomination is huge on giving tools to individual people. I think that's important, but I think mm -hmm. it's, it's skipping a step. And I, I think you'd agree. So what are some of the things you found about congregation wide yeah. discipleship towards evangelism? Yeah. So, uh, you know, my, my journey at Calvin, um, I, I went through a phase where, you know, I, I would start to talk about evangelism and, and preach about it here and there. And I learned that that was like a, a bad word for a lot of people. Um, and yeah. so it was, I had to really back things up. Um, and uh, first of all, just get people past the, the hurdle of the language. Um, I'm glad we held on to the language, but it took a long time to mm -hmm. redefine for people so that they weren't just thinking about the guy in the corner with the poster or the bullhorn. Um, or the guy that knocked on their door when they were a kid and told them they were going to hell or something. Um, well, isn't so that interesting? It, like, I wonder, and this is just a side note. We talked about this last week on the podcast, but being super clear with defining the terms we use right. in worship and giving people the right understanding of definition so that even when we say the word worship or whatever we're talking about, we know what we're talking about. So it, that I just pull that point aside for a second and, and say, hey, friend, make sure you're defining evangelism or discipleship or everyone has a perspective of what that is. Yeah. Yeah. So just like the, the culture around the word, we had to change and that took a while. Then I realized we got to a place where finally we could talk about it, you know, like without everybody sort of like 
rolling their eyes or pulling back. Like we all knew what we were talking about now. Um, and people had a conviction that they ought to be doing it, which was good. Um, mm. But no one was actually doing it. It's mm. kind of like, yeah, we should be sharing our faith. This is a, an essential part of being a disciple. Um, but don't ask me to talk about my experience doing it because most didn't have any. Um, I remember a, sort of a, a, a light bulb moment for me. I had finished a sermon, had been harping on it for a while, <laughs> and uh, an elder approached me after the service, and they were in their, their late 70s, early 80s maybe, uh, and they just said to me that uh, they had been an elder for 30-some years, they had lived in this church their whole life, and they felt like this new emphasis on evangelism was suggesting that um, everything they had done over all those years, all their service to the church was was like useless because mm -hmm. they never thought this was important and they were never did it. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, and they were carrying a lot of guilt about this. And they're saying, you know, look, I I have like, uh, you know, uh, my children, there's a couple of my children that I could share with. But otherwise, I don't know anybody who needs to hear the gospel. Like everybody I know is in the church and, you know, I've been in my, this church my whole life. And um, so I realized that for that person, what they didn't need was another lecture, another sermon convincing them they ought to be doing it. They were convinced. Now they're just dealing with the the reality that, okay, so now I know I should be doing it, but I, I'm not, not really being helped or equipped to actually do it. Um, so that helped me to see um, what I found as a bigger picture for people, especially the older folks of our congregation. Uh, they... They, yes, yeah, so some of them do just need to be convinced that it's necessary. Uh, but after that, they need practical tools and help with the relationships. So mm. what my project ended up focusing on was uh, being able to demonstrate, first of all, that my congregation was a place where they mostly had the conviction that they ought to be doing it, but none of them were. And the key to that puzzle was I found relationships. So, hmm. uh, and, and um, Barna, has a has a report that came out in 2019 about uh, the uh, state of evangelism. I think it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, they found the same same findings there that I did in my own congregation. That was that my older folks were the most convinced they ought to do it, and they were the least likely to be actually doing it. Wow. The younger people are almost 50 50 amongst the millennials. I think it, it was a little more than half thought evangelism was a negative thing, like don't do that, or, or proselytizing would have been yeah, better for their yeah. mission. Um, and uh, and so they were mixed on whether or not they should be sharing their faith in any way, but they were the most likely to actually be having conversations about faith with non-believers mm -hmm. or non-church goers. I found that same in my congregation. I think the, the, the problem was relationships. Uh, that same study found uh, from Barna that uh, amongst people of different faith convictions, you know, the from the um, the nuns through the uh, you know different religions and, and evangelical Christians in there as their own category, mm. uh, that we were the most likely to have to have the least diverse friendships and relationships. Uh, so the most likely to wow. have a set of friends who are only of our faith or of our belief, out of all the others, um, and. The older you, the groups were, the more that was true. Uh, so what I found for my congregation that for a lot of them, they either weren't aware of, they weren't seeing the relationships that they were in, or they weren't thinking about them intentionally in that manner. So we identified 
and it was, you know, God's ordination. I think that uh, COVID squashed a lot of things in our church <laughs> uh, that we had to put pause sure. on, but mostly insular, you know, in yeah. inward looking and gave us kind of permission to like, let those die. And when we rebooted with a lot of things, it was with things that were intentionally outward intended to build those relationships. So we identified relationships with students and with seniors at uh, two senior citizen high rises right right near our church. Mm. Uh, and so we have three different places where we try to funnel all of our volunteer energy towards those things, mm. where they're set up to develop relationships uh, with people in those places. Uh, and found that alongside of practical training and in evangelism, you know, how to, can, can you, uh, summarize the gospel in, in two to three minutes. And here's a tool if you don't have one. And uh, practical discussions along the way of um, helping people process their own hangups about mm. fears of how to do it. Uh, and, and a series of sermons where we helped people get past, um, like the, get, the aim is more than just to say, will you believe in Jesus now? And if they say no, then it's like, okay, well, I guess, uh, you know, move on to the next person. Uh, so helping them, giving them a language of journey of faith, saying like we're all on some journey of faith, we're either moving towards towards Christ and His kingdom or away from it. And so, uh, so for some, that step is you know, yeah, they're ready to make a life commitment to Christ. For others, it may be that they're going to start reading the Bible, and that's a mm -hmm. step they could take in their mm -hmm. journey of faith. Mm -hmm. uh, for others, it may be they're going to start praying in Jesus' name, or they're going to come to church. You know. Uh, Mm. All, all of these things. So giving them that language, a way to understand the conversations they might have. So a combination of all those things, but I think relationship was the key. Uh, so we found that once people had those things, they began to engage evangelism. Uh, the most direct finding I found in my own kind of like research after, after uh, taking like before and after data on what happened through these things, the most telling piece was that at the end of that nine months, um, everyone who indicated that they shared the content of the gospel in the last three months. So, so they presumably more than once in that time, but everybody who shared that they had shared the content of the gospel with the intent to welcome somebody into the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. um, everyone who answered yes to that question also answered yes to the question that they were intentionally developing relationships to do so. Mm. Not a single person who answered no to the question about developing intentional relationships with the hope of sharing the gospel. Not a single person who answered no to that question answered yes to the question of, did they actually share the gospel? So that was the most telling to me. Uh, and I think if nothing else, there's just people who are being aware now of, of, of those relationships. Some of them did it through the programs that we set up and others were just doing it on their own. Mm. Uh, so that was telling. So in, in at least in my context, I don't think that's like the, the key to the puzzle for every congregation. But for my sure. congregation, that was the key. They needed uh, to develop relationships, hmm. knowing that that was part of of what they hoped to do. Not, not that they're just going to like cast those people off, if, you know, after they share, but that uh, knowing that yeah. uh, that intentionality really, it, wow. you know, showed a statistical difference. That's really neat. Uh, I also can't help but think as you're sharing that it, when you hear the statistics of the the younger and the older generation, it's almost like you need a buddy system of like, get an older person with a younger person. The younger person's likely to do it. 
The older person is the person who will encourage that younger person to go do it with them. That's awesome though. But yeah, I, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I think that that's a finding we've seen play out in youth ministry as a whole as well. That this idea of when you have these intentional relationships with other friends in school, that the hopes of sharing the gospel, you're far more likely to do it. Uh, and so I, anecdotally, I would agree in our context also. So those of you that, li- that listen and are here, I'd encourage you to think about those intentional relationships in your own life. And what do those look like? I wonder if starting with intentional relationship doesn't also create a more gracious environment than a rigid legalistic environment. Because I think that's what many people think when they think of evangelism is it's just the straight gospel, turn or burn. You're either going to go to hell or you're going to accept the gospel right now. But when you start with a relationship, it's much more there's love, there's care, there's grace, there's, it's, it's not a, um, a, just a a hard, yeah. You're sharing out a love instead of guilt. Like, oh, I'm here to say my thing because if I don't, I'll feel bad. Yeah. Versus in a relationship, then it's like, this is a real person and I care about their soul and I'm going to share with them and I'm still going to care about them when they say no or when they say I'm not real sure. Um, It puts, it gives a face to, you know, to that. So it's no longer like an obligation, but it's a, it's a, a desire, of, you know, yeah. So uh, transitioning a little bit to talk about worship, but it also give you a chance to tell a story. So I'm going to ask a question. If people were to click on the link that I provided down in the description to go to your church's YouTube page, and if they go and watch the most recent, meaning this past Sunday, live worship, they're going to see like these bright colored ping pong balls that seem to be like on on the communion table there, right by it. What is that all about? And how is that connected to evangelism? Yeah. Lust of the uh, Presbyterian lightning bolts fall from heaven. It's not on the communion table. <laughs> okay, um, good. There's like uh, on the, some steps behind there, a little podium thing. Um, yes, yeah, so we have this jar and this is part of like how the whole congregation does it. So one is like just giving language about evangelism and journeys of faith and, and, and uh, inviting people to share in worship about uh, the opportunity they had to share the gospel through the week. Um, those kinds of things, uh, putting putting that in the, the culture of the church. Um, so part of that was having this jar up front and we challenged people to share the gospel or, and we, and so we, we, we define evangelism as sharing the content of the gospel with the intent of welcoming them into the kingdom of God. Um, mm. But, uh, or under the kingdom of God, however you want to put that. Um, so, so that was one reason they could put a ping pong ball in a jar. Another could be just that they had a conversation about somebody else's faith. You know, they were listening. Tell me about what you believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they have a, a, some conversation that gets more than, gets beyond, hey, I'm a Christian and I go to church. Do you want to come? Um, but to like, what what do you believe? Uh, let me tell you what I believe. Or mm. Some, some conversation that gets to the, the content of faith, um, they were encouraged to put a, put a ball in there. And, and that does include also, you know, one example of, of a step forward in, your, in somebody's journey of faith is to, to begin to worship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we did include that. Um, but it's, it's more than, you know, oh, I gave a postcard to somebody about my church, you know. Uh, so 
We challenged them to put a, a ball in that ping pong jar every time they did that. And we we're a congregation average in worship of like 50. Uh, and so it's not a big, not a big church at all. Um, and I was nervous that that jar would never get filled. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you'll see if you, if you watch that last video that uh, there's only a few in that jar, but I don't think you can quite see in the camera angle is that that jar actually was filled like two weeks ago. And when it overflowed, uh, we dumped it into the, the uh, acrylic podium that's there. So like now there's just like a couple inches of the podium. And so the next time the jar gets full, we'll dump it again and see how many times we can do that this year. Mm. Um, the kids are pumping. They want to have like a pizza party or something, you know, that they filled. The kids actually, a lot of them, you know, filled, uh, led the way and putting those ping pong balls in there. Uh, yeah, I remember I remember you sharing that uh, at Presbytery the other the other time we gathered and you said you were you were worried that no one would go and then it took some of the kids like the little ones coming up and putting the ping pong ball in displaying yeah. that they just shared their faith or had a faith conversation and it's and now you're putting that weight on those older folks who know they should be doing it feel convicted yeah. to do it and now they're being led by the younger generation who is doing it. What a beautiful picture of intergenerational, like not guilt, but what's the positive, like positive affirmation of the, of the attitude yeah. you want to see the cloud of witnesses. Yeah. Amen. Yep. That's cool. So that's yeah. And when, and I wanted you to share that story because I think that everyone can find something in their context that might help people get over that hurdle and to be able to celebrate even little tiny wins because it might it might be a month process for a person in your church to come and finally get to put a ping pong ball up there but every time they're in worship they're visually reminded of this call to go make disciples and they see the people around them doing it and they're like oh man okay i'm going to pray for that friend i'm going to and now it's on our heart and mind. We're so much more likely to see that opportunity when it comes. I think it's really cool. So yeah. thanks for sharing that. I, I appreciate it. Now let's make a quick transition into how have you found the connection between the way that you're preaching, teaching, leading, singing, praying in worship to the guidance and leading of people into the life outside the walls of the church to share their faith? Yeah. Oh, yeah. One that's a big, that's a big thing too. I get it, but yeah. Um, I'd say just like f to start in the texts, uh, like evangelism is all over the New Testament, and the the heart of it, the call of it, is all over the Old Testament as well. Um, but right now, like we're working through the Gospel of Mark, and mm -hmm. uh, there's like opportunity almost every week to hit the theme of evangelism if I wanted to. Uh, where you see somebody sharing, especially in those those call narratives at the beginning, like there's like a whole chain of, you know, and and John pointed to so and so and pointed them to Jesus, and then they went and got their brother, and then when they got their cousin, and then you know, and, and it's this this chain of um, here's people sharing Jesus in the context of their relationships. Uh, you can mm -hmm. track that through uh, through. Um, Jesus need to silence people, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's everywhere. Um, so regularly, though, trying not to be like obnoxious about it, just reminding folks, hey, this is this is happening right here in the in the text. Um, there's plenty of opportunities for that, and to to just keep that at the fore of of things 
Um, but he, from there to uh, what do we do with our prayers of the people? You know, are mm. we, do we find ourselves only praying for this week's surgery list or this week's um, list of people who have been in the hospital? Those are things that are good to pray for. Uh, but if that's all we're doing, mm. um, then uh, we're not doing much to advance the kingdom through, through our ministry. So we should be praying around more than that. Uh, so mm-hmm. I'll give the invitation almost every week for people to share a testimony or to share about one of those ping pong balls they put in. Um, a lot of weeks, yes. no one has anything to share. Sure. Some weeks we have two or three stand up and say, let me share. And it's really mm-hmm. encouraging to, to us when, when they do. Um, <laughs> there's a story I've, I've told in my congregation to kind of like uh, almost uh as almost like a threat <laughs> there's a, a congregation i know a friend of mine and he had a, a missionary return from somewhere in europe uh and serve in their congregation as like a pastor of congregational care or something like that hmm. and he was in charge of praying during worship and after being there for like two weeks and spending you know a, a career in the mission field he just said that's it we're not praying for anybody who's sick or in the hospital or dying for the next year. <laughs> and and he had this rule that uh, in order to do so, they had to state the state of that person's soul and what they were hoping would, would come through that healing <laughs> uh, spiritually. And um, th- this guy shared with me how like the congregation was sort of like shaken by this at first, but how it came to be a blessing for them that Mm. So then when they did pray for those things, it was like, so we come back next week and we ask, what has God done in that person's life beyond just Mm. the healing? You know, that's kind of a radical approach. But I do think um, we've got to start thinking about the power God has given us to do things in his name goes way beyond hoping that somebody recovers physically. And and in Mm. fact, the, the primary call for us ought to be the impact of the kingdom of God in their life. Um, So reframing how we pray around those things uh, and what we give attention to in those prayers. So I'm going to pray for those persons, but uh, I'm not going to spend 10 minutes praying about each person's upcoming medical condition. um, And then a minute about the, the spiritual needs of our community. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to spend, you know, five minutes praying for, the advancement of the kingdom and the spiritual things going on and the, and the opportunities for those conversations and, and, and a minute or two about the individuals who are named. Mm-hmm. Um, and around those things, I'm going to pray that God can use them in that person's life to bring glory to himself um, mm. in their faith journey, you know, to, to, to tie those things together. So I, I don't want to sound like a hard hearted about that. Uh, like I, of course, in a small congregation, um, pastoral care and sensitivity is a huge part of what I do, um, Amen. but I, I do want to push push people a little bit to think about the context of that. That even our pastoral care is meant to be used in in the advancement of the kingdom. So, uh, yeah, the, yeah, the 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 term that we've come to use for those prayers is the bumps and boo boos prayers, and <laughs> and and we say that we say that because. In, in the grand scheme of life, of eternity, they're bumps and boo-boos. And yeah. even though they might be really painful, we don't mean to say that to minimize the pain. Uh, sure, but yeah. you're right. I, I think we are, we are so quick 
in our world today, and we see it not in our denomination prayerfully, but in others where the gifts are more desired than the giver, where health and wealth is the thing desired. And so people come and they give their time and they give their money in an effort to receive healing or to receive favor. And I'm not, I know that that's not your perspective, but that doesn't mean that isn't the perspective of some in the pews who might be struggling through that and go, why am I not healed? Why am I not healed? And, and why can't, why can't my loved one recover or what? So I think that, yeah, a hyper-focus on those things can unintentionally draw actually our eyes away from Christ and instead yep. to our our infirmities. And I think that yep. that's the wrong direction. So Well, even Jesus, right? He, he could heal and he healed all the time instantly. And yet his focus was always pointing people past that. Yep, yep. To the message that he was sharing. So um, I, would say, I think I said a few weeks ago, um, even if everybody we prayed for, let's say the church, like, you know, had this renewal of the Holy Spirit and we just started healing people, you know, every, every prayer we prayed actually healed everybody. Um, eventually those people would go on to die of something else as, as the people did in Jesus time too. Sure. Uh, yeah. Lazarus died. Not, Lazarus isn't alive still. Yeah. yeah. And, and it would not increase yeah. the kingdom of, of God. You know, it, it wouldn't, uh, mm. That that's not the goal. Yeah. 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 So how how have you in some of your your liturgy and some of your worship preparation? Because obviously, I mean, working on a doctorate while still being it's not like you could take a year of your life off to go work on a doctorate. You're kind of building this all together as you're going. How mm-hmm. how did some of your organization in liturgy and worship shift? as you were trying to make people more outward focused, you've mentioned a little bit in the prayers and a little bit in the preaching. Was there anything else, the substance of the music or the calls to worship or the, the other elements that you might have as a part of your worship of the day? I'd say, unfortunately, I'm just getting there now, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I've been, been working through that uh, Christ centered worship book. um, And we're going through that with my session right now. That's great. Um, in informally, yeah, there are lots of little things. Um, making sure that uh, we try to explain our, the elements of the worship service more, our transitions. Um, those are things that I've not been very good at. And, and in trying to e- equip, I'm sorry, in my failure to equip lay leaders, mm-hmm. uh, but in trying to use them, um, often gets, you know, you get somebody there and, and maybe they're just reading whatever's written in the bulletin. Uh, rather than sharing what why we're doing what it, what we're doing, uh, so <laughs> we're we're kind of in like a, a two phase plan right now where our sessions looking at why we do what we do and introducing a couple of things that actually one of them started this past Sunday. We could talk about that. Um, and then, yeah, let's let's talk about it right now. Let's go. W- what did you start? What's new? Yeah. So uh, we introduced a, a part of of prayer. Uh, right after our offering that used to be just kind of a, you know, almost like a dedication of the offering. And it was usually offered by the pastor. And then for a while it was offered by our lay leader. Um, But now we bring an elder from the session up front just for that prayer. And they pray about not just the offering, but we have like a a spreadsheet that plays like a a rubric out of a rotation of things. So one, one category is 
ministries of the church, and there's maybe mm. 10, 10 ministries of the church that each week one of those things is, is in the prayer. And then the next one is our mission partners. So our ministry partners, some of those are local, some of those are global, um, but each week one of our ministry partners is, is prayed over. And then um, local concerns or uh, national concerns or concerns of the world, global concerns. Uh, and so all those things are laid over top. So in those three categories, we have a rotation of, of things that, that are prayed for and uh, asking our, our elders to pray over that, showing, um, the, trying to counter what some people think of of our session is sort of like, well, they're the event planners. Like mm-hmm. they're the, they, they do the numbers on the budget and they plan the parties and make sure that there's somebody to do everything. But they don't always see them as like our spiritual leaders. Um, and, and also wanting people not just to see that the pastor is the only one who's praying without notes all the, you know, and, and actually there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with notes. I encourage our folks to use, to use notes when they pray, but to, to use their own words and rather than like a, you know, uh, something out that out of a set of here's like six scripted prayers or words you can use in the service that a lot of our leaders will use on a rotation and everybody knows that's where it's coming from. Um, so challenging them to come up with their own language in worship. Um, Mm. So that my my aim in that is to get more people involved in worship and leading worship, more people seen so that it's not like uh, the professionals are doing it, you know, the pastor and the organist, you know, um, and to you see our our elders as the spiritual leaders they are um, and to challenge our, our spiritual leaders to rise to that a little more. So mm. um, this was the so for two Sundays, I kind of introduced it and explained why we were doing it and introduced kind of the rubric that we were going to use to help us pray over a diversity of things. And then this past Sunday was the first Sunday where, uh, where we have a rotation of the elders who are going to do that prayer. Um, that's sort of like a step one easy thing we could introduce. Over the next few months, our session will be looking at um, everything from uh, the order of our worship to uh, the language we use around it mm. to where we keep the furniture. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. All those things. And then in the summer, we're going to be offering a pretty, um, a, a much more uh, robust training for our lay mm. worship leaders so that they're equipped to do more than just read what's written in the bulletin, um, but to do some of those transitions and explain more about why we're doing each thing. So that's the goal. That's the plan. I, we'll see how it goes. But Truthfully, I've not I've not been as intentional as I should have been about uh, putting all those things together in, when it comes to worship. We're, we're we're tempted, especially in our small churches. Um, when I began, especially, I've, I've I've obviously developed a lot more trust and credibility being being there ten years now. But uh, early on, it was sort of like, Pastor, you can do whatever you want, experiment all you want with all these things. Just don't mess with worship, you know. Like, yeah. Just don't oh, sure. Sunday morning. Um, yeah. Don't change that. Like this is this is the thing that must mm-hmm. that that is so important. Um, and that was so. that was the same journey our elders were on. Uh, it, we took our time and slowly walked through that book and didn't didn't change a lot until there was like massive consensus that was just like, oh yeah, totally makes sense. We should have X, Y, and Z in this place and in this order 
and in this, and it actually so happened we were reading through Christ-centered worship when there were disagreements and challenges on where flags should be in the sanctuary. Yeah. And so, I, I, which was helpful because our elders were already thinking, hey, what's the point? Why are we doing worship? Who is worship for? What is the object of our worship? So it, once you get elders thinking that way and you get on board, I, I think you'll be, I'll be praying, but I'll, I think you'll be surprised at how actually smooth those changes end up coming. Because when you have that leadership on board and you have the why, like you've got the evangelism why already. Now you're yeah. like, hey, we want to teach our people and we want to guide them out, not to become a place where people come to get the thing they want so that they don't want to yeah. leave. Right. So, yeah, what we've experienced, some of the things that have helped me begin to identify that as the thing that needs to, to be examined now. So like we've we've built all these relationships in the community. We've we've got all the community um, ministry going on. We've got it even like our, our congregation almost doubles when we look at those who will show up to serve with us uh, because of these different things that we're seeing is we've got close to 100 people who will serve under the name of our church with us, show up to things like mm. DBS, show up to things like uh, any outreach event we do. And, and they, they will call it their church but they don't come to worship. Hmm. Um, and some of them have tried, like they'll visit and, and um, for whatever reason, they can't connect or, you know, something falls apart. Uh, and so um, as we look to like, why, why is that the place where we lose people? Like that's the step mm. too far. Some of that's cultural. I think like um, people are today more, more willing to serve and want to volunteer and do, uh, and they don't really see worship as, priority. So some of that's just the, the water we're in, um, the context of our, the challenge of our context. But some of it also, I think, is that we've contextualized everything we do except for worship. Interesting. Uh, Interesting. And so I think what, if we can contextualize our worship for the person who's not coming from a traditional lifelong member of a church, uh, how do we make what we do on Sunday morning make sense to that person? Um, I'm hopeful that if we can begin to tackle that, uh, we can build that bridge for some folks mm -hmm. that, we're, mm -hmm. that we're reaching already, but but we're not able to help them to that commitment yet of worship. Yeah, and, and when, when your goal shifts from giving people what they want to instead pointing people and leading people in into right worship of God, I think what ends up happening is preferences begin to change when they're submitted under relationships. And so when you're submitted under relationships in the context of a local church, and you're doing it for the good of the person on your left and on your right, you shouldn't ever feel totally comfortable in worship. If you do, I don't know that you're approaching a holy God in worship if you feel completely comfortable all the time. I'm pretty sure Isaiah in Isaiah 6 feels quite uncomfortable to be before God. Um, and, and I think there's an element of that, but are we welcoming and hospitable? And that was one of the things that I've been learning in my own life in terms of evangelism is the, the, the ministry of hospitality can be such a radical part of what you've already said, which is relationships, which are intentional that lead to evangelism. And I think that that's something that people often negate or forget about. One of the books that I found helpful as I think through this is Rosaria Butterfield's The Gospel 
uh, comes without a house or with a house key. The gospel yeah. comes with a house key. Very powerful and convicting story of opening your house up to anyone and everyone to be a place of gospel ministry. Man, I, I'm I'm jealous, and that's something I'm hoping for in my own house as things go. But as as we're doing that, that brings me to some of our questions. I want to flip to our Q and A time because we've got some questions here. First from Daryl, hanging out here. Oh, it's not popping up. Oh, wait, wait. There we go. Daryl, if you haven't followed Daryl's channel, go find Trinity Truth 05. He's been on the channel before. He says, what, what is his, meaning Sean, Sean, what is your favorite evangelistic method or I'll say method slash tool? Method, method slash tool. Ah. Uh. You know, uh, we've been we've been on this push with the three circles in our in our Presbyterian denomination, and um, I'd say of like the the one that I try to equip my people with, that's the one. Um, that said, when I use it myself, the three circles uh, being like God's God's design, the way he, He's made it, and uh, the brokenness that that people live in, and then the gospel being that Jesus came and died for our sin and rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven. Uh, and uh, through our faith in Him, re repenting and believing in Him, we can begin to recover and pursue God's design. I, I tend to sort of add a fourth one in there and, and uh, point us back to the fact that Jesus is coming again, uh, mm -hmm. and it's mm -hmm. new heavens and a new earth. Uh, so I, I'll, I'll talk about it that way. But um, if, if there's another one that sort of approaches the, uh, informs the framework, would I do that? Evangelism explosion. Um, a lot of folks will kind of look down on it because there's a lot of memorization and um, it's it's a little bit of a cumbersome tool. But uh, in terms of the method that it, it does uh, include a bigger part of the church, it's meant to be mm. used in the church. So I'll, I'll point to that one as well so that it's, it's not just an individual thing. But yeah, the tool that we use in my congregation is the three circles. We use it in our membership class. We use it with our kids stuff. We use it with the church picnic, with VBS. Uh, our elders are trained in it. Um, so we, we try to put that out there as often as we can, just to remind people of a, a framework to look at it. Hmm. That's good. Well, in, in the same light, I, I would agree with all of that. I, I think finding a, a method that works for your context and don't be afraid to try different ones, but th those are two good options. I also think you can go just Bible through something like the Romans road. Uh, but you're right. That's, that's more heavy on the memorization and it doesn't necessarily encompass creation, fall, redemption, restoration, which is what we're also trying to present a little bit up when we present the gospel to give yeah. a bigger context than just, do you want to go to heaven? Everyone's going to say, yeah, sure. Yeah. Right. Like I, I think that that could be a misleading, uh, yeah. A misleading way to enter. So Dean's here also. Dean's in the chat. If you if y'all don't know Dean, go check Dean's channel out. Dean mm -hmm. is asking, uh, what are some books on evangelism you'd recommend? And I'll add a second to that is, what's a book on evangelism that you wouldn't recommend that maybe you've read? And, and it's not to be like oh, mean man. or critical, but just to be like, ah, I didn't find this one as helpful as others. Yeah. Well, oh, let's start I'm with the terrible. recommendations first. Yeah, I'm terrible with remembering um, titles and names of authors. Uh, let me let me reflect a little bit. So, in my reading on evangelism, I looked at everything that 
that I could see has had any level of popularity in, in the evangelical world today um, and mostly came up with bad examples. <laughs> uh, very few of the resources on evangelism today defined evangelism. Uh, oh, wow. And because they didn't define evangelism, they ranged from like here, you know, a whole set of uh, books on evangelism that weren't really about evangelism at all, but were really about discipleship and or um, outreach. Uh, but to them, it was kind of like uh, ranged everything from like just by having worship. Some basically said like evangelism is having worship on Sunday morning and making sure that people are invited. <laughs> uh, or to others, evangelism is like everything I do that is good in the name of Jesus. Um, hmm. And neither of those things, I would say they're all, those are necessary things in the big picture of the, the hmm. work of the church, but none of those things I would say qualify as evangelism. Um, so the stay away from list would be uh, uh, Robert Coleman's master plan of evangelism. Uh, and that's a big, that's a big named book that a lot of people yeah, turn to that. It's not really about evangelism at all. I mean, it's, it's about, uh, evangelists, sort of like mm -hmm. it's about if you took it as that, I like you know, I've got a, uh, a a bunch of people underneath me who are evangelists, and I want to train them. Like you could see that, um, but in terms of like uh, actually, what do you train them to do, and what are you doing? Uh, there's not really any very little mention of actual evangelism there. Hmm. Um, so. I would say, you know, if you put that one in its context, not that it's totally unuseful, but uh, it doesn't really speak to the context most people are in today with evangelism. Um, That's... There's a, a guy's name, Abram. Uh, uh, I'm Googling. I'll keep going. Abraham. Uh, he's a Methodist guy, actually. And he has like this this longer kind of, uh, you know, grand theological work about evangelism, something Abraham. William James Abraham? William James Abraham, yes. He has a long one that's like his his main work, but he has this little like 120-pager that was written for the Methodist church in particular, if you can kind of get past his intended audience, but it applies to most of our churches. Uh, and he does a good job of, for one, like defining what evangelism is, mm -hmm. uh, and showing all of the alternative definitions that have been offered in, in the evangelical world in the last 50 uh, years or plus, um, which included that broad diversity of like, oh, if I, you know, gave my neighbor a casserole, that was evangelism. Or if I, uh, mm. you know, um, went to the food bank for the week, like those things are good, but they're not evangelism. He, he defines the different, he lays out the different ways and explains the same need that I noticed that you need to be clear about what it is. Then he talks about the assets that the local church has to do it um, mm. with everything from the relationships that we might have to. Uh, so I, you know, it's this little book that was actually like tough to find, but I was surprised to see that his, that ended up being one that was really helpful. Otherwise, like there's some stuff out there by uh, Stephen Fitch um, mm. that, uh, included evangelism they weren't necessarily just talking about evangelism but uh his i think seven habits of a uh i forget what it, what his <laughs> what his title was terrible sure. those kinds of things uh he he had some good stuff out there that 
put evangelism in the context of all those other things the church ought to be doing. Mm. Uh, and I really liked his way of, of doing that. Um, and, it, and it was, again, his stuff is written for the congregation, for a church, and not just for the individual. Um, those are those are some good ones. Uh, evangelism explosion again, like it sounds a little dated and a little cumbersome, but uh, it, it's comprehensive. And uh, so, if you can boil it down to your context, I, that's a helpful one. Um, trying to think of some of the other stay away froms. Uh, well, I think even just giving the master plan is because uh, I think that's one that a lot of people might come across. And our the stay away from was more. I think you already gave that in the sense that like, well, it's kind of surprising that that wasn't actually helpful for evangelism. Right. Um, yeah. Out of the salt shaker, like is good if you're on your own personal journey of like, you know, should I do evangelism and how, but it never really, it, it like connection to the church is like an afterthought. I think it was like even put in like the updated revised edition, but um, so all of them fall short a little bit. So Dean, Dean, commented back he said yes that coleman book is interesting packers, packers evangelism the sovereignty of god is my go-to and that's a good yeah, one too that's a great one for the theology especially of of the why behind it uh daryl says any testimony of helping a church member under the need for evangelism or helping them to overcome the fear of sharing the gospel and you don't necessarily have to get into sharing names but any experience in helping because you you did share that the older generation is the most likely to feel the guilt or the push to go do it, but unlikely to over maybe overcome that shame and fear. Uh, so any, any other thoughts on besides you said relationships were the key, right? Helping people shift from a focus of the content of the message to instead the heart of the one you're talking to is kind of how I took that to any, any other tools to help people overcome that fear or any stories about that. Uh, giving people a chance to name it, to share their fear and to hear them and answer them was, was, was helpful. Um, and then, uh, giving them opportunities for like rapid obedience as uh, a general principle for discipleship, but think of one event and you probably heard me share about it at that, that meeting, um, where we had a trunk or treat and the kids were on like a scavenger hunt at the different cars to, uh, they had like a sheet that they had to fill out what the three circles were. And so at each station there to ask if that person could explain to them any part of the gospel. And um, and so there were a couple people I asked to ahead of time to do that. And so like that repetitive, like here's a person asking them for the content <laughs> and they're sharing it. Um, when you do that like 50 times in a night, you know, um, I think those persons surely felt much more comfortable uh, then, you know, the next time they thought they had an opportunity to, to do it, um, having that awkward practice, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I kind of had like three phases. One, one time we had like the first night was let's just talk about the idea of evangelism. I had a decent crowd show up to talk about the idea. The second night was like, let's show up and I'm just going to talk about this tool, the three circles and, you know, read the book and talk about that. I had like a little bit smaller of a crowd. And then the last day, I was like, we're going to show up and role play. And, and you're going to share the gospel with each other. And I had like two people show up <laughs> uh, because they were so intimidated. But, mm. um, but that's a necessary step at some point. Um, later, I found you just have to like kind of sneak it on them. If you tell them they're going to have to do that ahead of time, no one will come. But 
if you just mm. kind of say, hey, folks, uh, while we're here, we're going to do this and uh, set them to it. Somebody will be the first one. And after that, the folks go along with it. And Yeah. Uh, someone, so, yeah that, someone breaks the ice. Training versus teaching. Uh, mm. That's, you know, any other thing we train people to do, it's repetition, it's practice. And this is no exception. That's not easy to get to, but I'd mm. say training. Yeah. And, and in the context that you've shared, you've also opened the celebration of evangelism to wider than just a literal retelling of the gospel. And I, and I think yeah. that that's really helpful. Um, I would even consider as, as you were talking, I was thinking like even considering the, the step of beginning to pray for someone consistently is, mm -hmm. is the beginning of intentionality. I would say like, I think the first step of intentionality is praying for someone's salvation. And then that's going to lead you to be intentional in your relationships. And so I think from what you shared about the, the ping pong balls and them coming forward, finding measurables that can celebrate on the journey of evangelism, because then people, I mean, people are pretty simple when it comes down to it. They want to be told they're doing a good job and anything that makes people feel like they're doing a good job, even if it's little can really be a positive reinforcement as opposed to you should be doing this. It's like, Hey, yeah. Great job for those that have, um, no guilt for the others. Yeah. A few more questions here. Um, another one, give your thoughts on the way of the master. I haven't read that book, so I can't give thoughts on it, but I don't know if that's one that you've, I didn't have to do a doctorate, so I didn't have to, to read every book under the sun like you did. I'm sure. I don't, I don't, I did not read that one. I don't believe. Okay. Um, if I had the name of the author, I might be able to say if I came across it and formed some impressions, but I don't, I don't, I can't say off the top of my head anything about that one. Yeah, it's by Ray Comfort. Okay. So it's, it's the, it's his perspective on how he'll use the 10 commandments. I'm guessing. And Daryl, you can inform me. I haven't read his book, but I'm guessing it's, it's a using the, the law to show the need for salvation that we're all lawbreakers. Um, or at least that's how he, he presents the gospel in his street evangelism. Um, and I'm sure that kind of walks into some of that. Uh, I didn't see any others. Uh, yeah, he said Ray Comfort is the one. Here, here's one that's interesting. Another question, and they're mostly for you, which is good because they already know where I stand on some of these. So based on what some of what we've talked about, how does your how does your church proclaim the gospel each Sunday, sermon, liturgy, both, etc. How 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 do you see the content of the gospel uplifted on a Sunday morning in your congregation? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's it, in some ways it's like built into the liturgy, like from like we're gathering in the presence of God and we're we're going to worship Him, and as soon as we are in His presence, we realize our need to confess our sin, and uh, and then our leads into the assurance that's offered and. Um, it, at that assurance, a pardon is more or less like a three-sentence rehearsal of the gospel, in a sense, every Sunday. Yeah. Um, to uh, every sermon, I'm one of those that does like uh, I'm not as strict about it as I used to be. Somewhere in the service, for sure, I will get there with the message. But most Sundays, like 98% of them, I will I will hit that in the sermon. Um, that every text I'm looking at, it could be Old Testament, New Testament, it could be something that sounds like it's all about law, 
but I'm going to point to how does that get us to the gospel? How's the mm. gospel and Jesus Christ fulfill this? I'm, I'm a strickler for that, that uh, we have to get there on a Sunday morning. And I know there are other pastors who kind of disagree. They kind of say like, you know, the gospel needs to be there somewhere. Um, but it's okay if this sermon is mostly about law, if that text is mostly about law, or it's okay if this mm -hmm. sermon is mostly about, um, you know, holiness or like, yes, emphasize those themes, but it's always got to be the context of the gospel. And I think mm -hmm. that's driven because we have to recognize our audience is not, um, is not the lifelong churchgoer anymore. And even when it was like, they still need to be reminded that, this stuff really ultimately points to the gospel. So I, I make a point to hit that. One of the things I've changed in the last couple of years and that I'm working on now uh, is uh, making more of an invitation in worship. Uh, uh, so yeah. I grew up in the context where it, the church I grew up in, once in a while, the church would have something like what people would call an altar call. Um, but mm -hmm. I wasn't like, it wasn't like a, play the same songs for 10 minutes until people come forward. It was like the pastor invited people to come forward and, and pray with him or an elder. Uh, but in the Presbyterian context that I've been a part of in my adult life, I've never seen that done. I've never seen much of an invitation at all. And uh, and people kind of have a, a cringe about that the way they did evangelism. Yeah. Uh, and so I've been developing my, like, my own understanding is that no, that needs to be a big part of it. Um, yeah. Every other life change that people make, they're pointedly challenged at some point and they make mm. a commitment at some moment. Like, if I'm going to quit smoking, they have this moment where they just say, like, yeah, I'm mm. going to commit smoking, quit smoking. I'm going to share that with everybody. Like, so if we're not offering an invitation to do that, mm, mm. why not? You know, um, so I'm working on that. Uh, sometimes it's awkward. I get to that part and I'm like, not sure how to say it. Or I look out and I think, I know everybody here. And, it's, you know, it's a small church. I, I know where everybody's at, but mm. I'm going to give this invitation anyway. Uh, some of that's a reframing in my own head of like mm. understanding that it is more common than we think that someone who's been in church their whole life hasn't really gotten it yet and might not get it until someone makes that invitation. Um, well, and, maybe, so and maybe a way to reframe that too, though, is if you're trying to have an outward focused mindset towards evangelism is also like, this idea that here, here is the good news of the gospel that we proclaim and believe, and you're invited to believe it today. Like I, I think yes. that it could still be because that's so, so important that we keep saying the words of the gospel, the message of the gospel again and again, so that it's not that it becomes rote that we don't, uh, had, doesn't have impact, but instead that it becomes so natural to our speaking that like what says in 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ died according to the scriptures and was raised according to the scriptures and he appeared to all of these people. Like that's the contents of the good news that was recited in churches. That some believe that's the earliest creed uh, in, the, in the text. And that's why we have creeds and confessions. And so I would encourage you to think on when you're doing that, it could even be reframed to be like, let's remind all of us of the gospel because the gospel has yeah. the power into salvation. The gospel is what we want to proclaim into the lives of the people that are both here and that we're going to come in contact with. And so you can almost make it a meditation, but also an invitation because who knows yeah. who's been brought to church. So I think you can, you can, you could frame it in such a way that it, 
that if you ever feel that awkwardness of, I've said this 8,000 times to my people, um, but I think you could frame it in a way like, hey, we're learning this and the kids are learning this and they're remembering it and the older people are remembering it. It's like a creed at this point. And you could maybe even recite it together to make it call and response or something along those lines. Yep. So I've had those awkward moments, but there was a Sunday a few weeks ago that I look back on and I really made an intention to build in my notes to to really craft that invitation well. Nice. Because uh, I have Sundays where I'm not prepared for it. And then I look out and I see like, oh, today like would have been a good day to hit that. But I'm so used to, oh, it's the same people every Sunday. So there was a Sunday a few weeks ago where I really like built that in and mm-hmm. was ready for that to be a big part of my message. But I was also like, if nobody's here, then maybe I'll gloss over this a little bit and move to the end. Because I, I do that. Like I'll have like a, but it worked out that Sunday. Like I think God led those people there that day. Mm-hmm. And so I had it ready and I was ready myself. Not that it's like a salesman, but you know, there is like a, a level of comfortability with what we're sharing that yeah. comes across. Um, and I do like, so I had that like pointed kind of extended more than I would usually do invitation. But then, yeah, I think every time I do that, I also end with like, and, and for, for you who have accepted this before, like let's celebrate and be reminded and hmm. uh, that leads somewhere into either yeah. like a prayer or, or a final hymn or something. But um, yeah, if it doesn't come out explicit in the message, it'll be before my blessing, like as part of the charge, like a final hmm. invitation. Um, and every Sunday that there's communion, um, I yeah. think that invitation sort of as a part of describing who's invited to this table and who's not. So like, mm-hmm. it's not like, Hey, you're out, but Hey, like if you haven't accepted this before, like we would love to, in, to receive you into the kingdom, to baptize you and yeah. to welcome you to this table. Um, so those are, those are the places in the service where we hit it one way or another. Uh, well, the, the presentation of the gospel for me, I, I wish we did communion every Sunday. Uh, that's just what I wish, but that's my own personal preference. And I, and I know, I bet I could convince my elders to go along with it, but um, I'm not going to put that burden on them uh, right now. There is one other question in here and it's by me. So I put it in the chat. Um, <laughs> it doesn't, uh, uh, what kind of dog do you have? We can uh, hear him a little bit in the background. He sounds yeah. like he wants to join the podcast. You know, I'm on like, so I'm on study leave this week and I'm at home. So I'm never, I don't ever do stuff at home, but I'm really trying to stay away from my office so that I don't get bombarded by the people who would have something for me to do there. Uh, and my dog, when I'm home, yesterday she was outside all day. Yeah. Uh, so she's whining because she wants to go sit outside. But if I put her outside, I know in about half an hour she'll she'll yip to come in. So I thought I'd leave her in thinking she'll be quiet if I bring her in. No, she really wants to go out. So she's a, a mutt. She's, she's like the old yeller dog. Okay. Uh, called a black mouth cur. Uh, is, is the closest thing, but it's pretty a loosely defined breed. Um, got her from a shelter that uh, somebody brought her up from Georgia out of a kill shelter there. They kind of go down mm. and they pick up uh, basically the dogs that will be easy to unload. So like they leave all the pit bulls and Rottweilers there <laughs> and they bring back the dogs that they think will be easy to rehome in another state from the yeah. kill shelters down there. Yeah. Uh, wow. So yeah. Sadie is uh, eager to get outside here. Sorry about the distraction. <laughs> Sadie, me too. It's sunny here in Western Pennsylvania. We don't see that very often. Um, yeah. It's a little little chilly. We were at the park yesterday with my kids enjoying some of that weather. But, oh, God's Fancy Girl says, I have a Jack Russell Chihuahua mix named Bella. Fantastic. More 
more dog people. And I will say in your conversation that you shared, I, I didn't get a chance to, to stop and say it, but when you mentioned about how pointing people from the Old Testament, and even if it's about law, still getting to the gospel, Jesus in five is in here and his YouTube channel is all about showing how Jesus is throughout all of scripture, not just in the New Testament. He's a good Lutheran, so he's all about law and gospel. Um, but glad, glad that Pastor Josh was hanging out in the chat for a little while. So as, as we're kind of wrapping up here, uh, what are some of the hopes that you have as looking forward? Obviously, you're starting to read through uh, Christ-centered worship and some of that. But in, in, in general, what are some of the goals that you've kind of set before your congregation? Is there, is there anything big that you're praying about and looking forward to? in terms of evangelism or outreach or other, I mean, we're a few weeks away from resurrection Sunday from Easter. I understand that, but other than Holy week and, and that maybe Easter egg hunts, all those things, anything your church is currently working on as an outreach event type thing. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of, uh, I'm proud to say we do a lot of outreach. Um, sure. Um, one of the things I'm excited to see where it goes in the next year, and in the fall, we started a group uh, for release time, if you're familiar with release time, mm -hmm. uh, where kids can come out of school for Bible class during the day. Uh, we started in the fall for third and fourth graders, just, just those two classes, and we're a pretty small school district in Elwood City. We're up to 30 third and fourth graders now wow. that we bring in for Bible class at the church, so some of them like they walk from one of the elementary campuses and then we bring a bus to bring them in from the other one. Um, and it's a pretty good mix. Like I'd say a little less than half of those kids are, are from good church homes where they, they know their stuff and they're being raised in that. Sure. And they're, they're a part of a church and a little more than half have really no church connection at all. Um, Interesting. And they're there because they can get out of class for now, you know, which I totally would have done and did do when I was a kid. Um, so, I didn't go to Bible study when I left in class, though. Yeah, <laughs> I, I walked to the local deli or the pizza place next to my high school. So I went to a release time program. I didn't even know that's what it was called. But uh, I remember getting out early on Fridays. It's called early dismissal. We went to the local Mennonite church and these ladies oh. in their ear coverings and long dresses and give us animal crackers and teach Bible lessons on flannel graph. <laughs> uh, and then we'd ride the bus back, but I was just pumped to get out of class for an hour and, yeah, you know, do something different. Learn about the scripture. So um, we're, we're obviously like, uh, you know, the gospel there every, every, every time they're there. Um, but interested to see like how we can build the connections from that to the actual life of the church. Um, mm. So like introducing those kids to the concept of worship, mm. uh, introducing those kids to the community of the church. Um, obviously the Bible class is going to be a big element of it, but how can we we're interested to see how that develops? You know, now that we've really gained some traction like, to start with just like three kids at the first one. And now we've got like 30 is it's pretty cool. And uh, that's uh, fantastic. Expanding that next year to the fourth and fifth graders um, and having a separate class for them. So um, yeah, just see how to, how to, how to develop that. Hmm. That's neat. That the one thing to take away from that is, and, and this is something I have to keep reminding myself, you have to go and ask what's available 
and what is needed in your community. And you can find things like that. There's a need in your community that you guys have been able to walk into. And that, that's awesome. So thanks, Sean, so much for being here. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, this was hopefully an enlightening conversation for some that were here, or at least an encouraging one that evangelism doesn't have to be a dirty word, but you might have to do some dirty work to get it into uh, a better place for your folks to be excited about because of all the baggage possibly same with we're both a part of the EPC, which is the evangelical Presbyterian church. Evangelical is not always a, uh, a great word in our, uh, context and in our culture today, it's seen as a negative, unfortunately, um, based on political things. So yeah, we have to be defining always. And I, I look forward to hearing how some of this plays out in your context as you and your elders are reading through Christ-centered worship. So I appreciate you. Any closing thoughts or thing that you had written down that you're like, oh, I wanted to say this one last thing that will change everyone, uh, blow everyone's mind. Mm-hmm. And no, it doesn't have to be that revolutionary, but, or, or here, we'll, we'll, we'll end on this. What is one thing that you remember from our, our times driving back and forth to seminary? Um, I was trying to think of stories and I couldn't necessarily remember like an eventful thing other than just enjoying the car rides, but yeah, I think it's just a miracle that I survived that season of life. Uh, I, I struggled just like us being so tired yeah. <laughs> and, and oh. getting through those drives. So, uh, yeah, you, God may have used you to save my life there, Jamie, from <laughs> falling You're what? The, going through some red light, headed down Route 8. <laughs> oh, it was, it was brutal, man. Yeah, that was a long drive. That was a long drive. But, well, thanks so much for being here. Guys, if you haven't already, please... Leave a like on this video if you're listening on any of the podcast platforms. I appreciate you. Please consider leaving a review or sharing this with someone. Actually, that's the most important thing you could do if you enjoyed this because podcasts like this or live streams like this grow based on word of mouth more than anything else. So consider sharing this video with someone. Thanks so much for being here, Sean. Guys, we'll see you next week where I'm going to be sitting down and talking with Jared Hoyt, another EPC pastor in the Presbytery of the Alleghenies is going to share some of what his church has gone through in looking at Christ-centered worship as well. Hey, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. I hope and pray this has been an encouragement to you. If you would please consider sharing this with someone who needs to hear it or leaving a rating on whatever app you're listening on, I would greatly appreciate it. Thanks so much. Catch you on the next one. People think that there's another gospel. They think they can improve upon the gospel. They think they can edit the gospel. They think that they can change the gospel and move to another gospel. But there is no other gospel.